Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, good afternoon, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Let's say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and to live for yourself, not convert you. And I am hoping everybody had a great week. And I thank you for joining us today. We had taken some time off. We did a show last week, but before last week's show, we had taken some time off. And, you know, we're working with the People of Color Beyond Faith Project. And actually, we have a webcast coming up Sunday, March 30th. Again, Sunday, March 30th at 1 o'clock Central Standard Time, which is 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And that webcast is Women of Color and Religious Oppression. I need to make the invite, event invite for that. But Women of Color and Religious Oppression. So that is going to be a really, really good panel. We're looking forward to that. And in April, we are going to have a panel on mental health care because it's Mental Health Care Awareness Month. So we're going to have a panel on that, and I don't have all the details laid out quite yet, but as soon as I get them in, I will be more than happy to share that with you guys. And also, speaking of people of color beyond faith, we will be holding our first, first of many, of course, annual People of Color Beyond Faith conference. And the name of the conference is Moving Social Justice. Again, Moving Social Justice. And this will take place October 11th and 12th of this year, so October 11th and 12th of 2014 at CFI Los Angeles. And we have a list of distinguished speakers and panelists, 
and, you know, we welcome and we thank them for joining us this year, this fall. And we will have Mercedes Forbes from Mercedes Power Foundation. We will have Dr. Sakibu Hutchison from Black Skeptics Group. We will have Meredith Moy East. She's a minister from Creative Heart Mission, which is in Baltimore, Maryland. We will have Dr. Anthony Penn from Rice University. We will have Raina Rose from Black Freethinkers Network. We will have Donald Wright from Houston Black Nonbelievers. And, you know, you know, this is sponsored by Black Skeptics Group, of course, um, AAH and the Secular Student Alliance, in addition to CFI. I can't forget them because they are also one of the sponsors. So please, if you all get a chance, please come out. This will be taking place in Los Angeles, California. This is an actual physical conference. And, you know, we're definitely looking forward to seeing you guys. And, you know, we're just excited. We're just really excited about this. Some of the panels that we will be presenting will be Youth Leadership in Busting Prison Pipelining, Feminisms of Color and Community Activism, Anti-Racism and the Myth of Color Blindness, Confronting Homophobia and Transphobia in the Black Church, Culturally Relevant Humanism, What Is It and Why Do We Need It, and LGBTQ Atheists of Color and Social Justice. So there is something there for everyone. Um, the registration fee is $40, and it's $25 for students. So we gave the students, a, you know, a discount on that because we understand how that goes. Many of us were once students. Some of us are students again. So, you know, that's basically what it all boils down to. But we want to invite you out to be with us and to come on out and enjoy yourself and to have a good time. And, you know, we're just definitely looking forward to seeing you and having you as part of the community. So, again, Sunday, March 30th, we will be having our webcast live on YouTube. You know, we do this every month. And last month we had a weekend extravaganza, so basically we had five panels. But Sunday, March 30th, we will be talking about women of color and religious oppression. So I just wanted to make sure that, you all knew about those activities. We have another digital conference coming up the first weekend in August. So we're putting that together, and if anyone is interested in participating, um, we want believers to participate as well. You know, we're trying to balance out um, some of these panels, and in addition to that, it's for people of color. So this is open to pretty much, you know, everybody of color, you know, Latino, Indigenous, Native American, of course, um, you know, East Indian, West Indian, I mean, everybody, Pacific Islander, um, Asian, you know. Yeah, and on this month's panel in March, we will have, um, you know, it will be diverse. So definitely, you know, we want to encourage you guys to reach out. And, you know, we are always looking for great panelists to, you know, join us on these projects. So, you know, just wanted to make sure that I brought that information across to you guys. For those that are longtime listeners of Black Freethinkers, you know that you can find our archives here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. So, you know, go out there, and we've had some wonderful, wonderful podcasts. I did a three-part series about the God concept. That was an excellent series, and then I did a three-part series about privileged mutiny, and that was a great series, too. And what's interesting about that is I did one on domestic terrorism, part of that three-part 
Privilege Mutiny series, and we had a great example of it this past weekend, and, you know, we'll be getting to that in a minute. But the topic of today's show is social justice, community activism, and the atheist community. Again, that's social justice, community activism, and the atheist community. So when I wrote up the description of the show, you know, basically I was talking about how we would discuss social justice, diversity, community activism, and how the terms seem to be a repellent for many of the larger atheist organizations. And so we're going to talk about white privilege, libertarianism, racism, sexism, homophobia, and a number of things today. And I know I'm going to be quoting from W.E.V. Du Bois and um, um, James Baldwin today. And it's just interesting, you know, how all of this has come about. There have been some really, really interesting, you know, things happening in the news um, over the past week. But let's start out with a couple of quotes from W.E.V. Du Bois. And, you know, he was actually one of my heroes, if you will. And one of his quotes is, either America will destroy ignorance or ignorance will destroy the United States. You know, that's one of my favorite quotes by him. And the next one is, the cost of liberty is less than the price of repression. And again, that's W.E.V. Du Bois. And so... You know, I want to talk a little bit about what's been happening in the news. You guys know I try to cover a number of topics, but I also try to keep you abreast of, you know, what's happening out here. And, again, some of our, you know, more interesting politicians have been at it again, you know, John Boehner. And, basically, the House of Reps, um, they, <laughs> they passed – a law called the Faithful Execution of the Law Act, H.R. 3973. Again, Faithful Execution of the Law Act, H.R. 3973. And so basically, because they're not able to shut President Obama down the way that they really want to, what they're doing now is they're grabbing power. So they're trying to find another a way around it. And basically, you know, Boehner gave a quote saying that the president has a constitutional obligation to enforce the law whether he likes it or not. And he said the president has uh, basically, um, from his numerous rewrites of the health care law to his administration's attempt to seize private water rights, the willful disregard for the limits of executive power is outstanding. And basically what they're trying to do is take executive, um, some executive privileges away from President Obama because, remember, President Obama said he was going to sign some executive orders if he could not get the Congress to work with him. And so what this pretty much is about, and I want you guys to go out and, you know, research it, is basically what they're trying to do is, you know, grab the power because the executive branch has the power and the authority and the responsibility to implement the law and to inform federal agencies under their purview how to implement the law. 
And what they're doing is trying to take the power away from the executive branch and give that power, give their branch more power. So, you know, the legislative branch, they're trying to give them more power and take power away from the executive branch, which is the president. And basically, um, this is one of a number of laws that they've tried to put into place. And, you know, guys, I just want you to go out and take a look and see what is happening because, you know, they're trying to diminish the power of the president and give more powers to themselves. They're basically trying to change the constitutional balance of power because, remember, we have three branches. You have the legislative, you have the executive, and you have the judicial. And it's balanced that way for a reason, you know, and this is civics, basic civics go out, take a look and see what's happening. And this should be interesting because if they're able to do this, you know, basically the House Republicans will be running the country. So, you know, and these are the same people. Um, you know, just look at what's happening with the Tea Party politics, what's happening with the Republican agenda, what's been going on most recently. And, you know, just want you to all to keep you know, on top of that. See what's going on, do your research, find out what's happening. You know, what's interesting with all of that is, you know, Paul Ryan made a statement um, last week, and, you know, he had to go back and basically said that his comments were inarticulate. And, you know, (laughs) he was saying that Obamacare and other social programs were poverty traps, and that, you know, he had a plan to take a new direction in the war on poverty, and he was making all kinds of comments about, you know, the inner city and how there's a culture of not working, males or men not working in the inner city. And, you know, people called him to the carpet on this, and I saw it going through Facebook a little bit, some of the news feeds, and I saw it going through Twitter as well. And, you know, I want you guys to go and take a look to see what's happening because they're using a lot of buzzwords. And we'll come back to the Paul Ryan thing, but, you know, there are racial code words, buzzwords that they use. And, you know, they say this in place of saying people of color, blacks, or Latinos or other people. And, you know, again, he was talking about his quote-unquote real culture problem in our inner cities in particular. And I'm going to give you some of those buzzwords. When you hear a politician saying inner city, he's talking about people of color, okay? Um, When they start talking about states' rights, you know, again, that's not as innocent as it may seem, basically. And I've talked about states' rights here, about how, you know, with some of the laws that have been passed, you know, a lot of people in communities of color think that the Democrats, you know, are totally for us, and it's about making a deal. And so, you know, a lot of these laws are passed on the federal level, but yet authority is given to the state. And this is how 
a lot of people of color have been denied certain rights throughout the years. You know, there was a time when people of color could not get unemployment, they could not get Social Security. You know, it would be very few that could get it, and that's because a lot of those are passed down to states' rights. And so that when you hear them saying states' rights, that's a buzzword. That's a code word. When you hear forced busing, you know, that's another thing, you know, going back to integration and desegregation. Forced busing is another cold word. Um, when you hear cut taxes, you know, that's another one of those dog whistles. And, you know, again, demonizing, you know, communities of color, people of color. You know, I want you to go back and look this up. Um, law and order, that's another cold word. Um, welfare and food stamps. You know, you keep hearing them call Obama the food stamp president. And if you go back to Ronald Reagan when, you know, he ran on his platform, and, you know, Ronald Reagan, long history there. If you want to look something up that's really interesting, look up Ronald Reagan and the Black Panther Party. You can even throw Elaine Brown in there and Ronald Reagan and look at where all of this, you know, comes from. Um it's just it's a number of things, and just go out and, you know, look them up, and you will be surprised. You definitely will be surprised. Um, you know, illegal alien is another one of their favorite cold words or buzz phrases that they like to use. So, you know, definitely go out there and, you know, um, you'll find some information. I see we already have somebody on the line trying to get through Oh, for kicks and giggles, let me pull up the call. 804, you're on the line. May we ask who's calling? Uh, hello. Hey, Deborah, how are you? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just talking about the cold words, you know, that they're using in the news to get people all riled up. I spoke a little bit about Paul Ryan and his inner city poverty issue, and there were a couple of really good articles that kind of, you know, took him down about that. But, you know, it's been interesting, you know, um, there was a representative by the name of Jim Brown in Arizona, not Jim Brown, the football player. This is a Republican from Arizona, and he said basically slavery wasn't so bad. Yes, I heard that. Yes. <laughs> he said, yeah, he said slave owners took pretty good care of their slaves and that they kept business rolling. So, I mean, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I want people to know, you know, the mindset of some of these people, the mindset. And, you know, they get upset and they get angry with people of color when we try to assert our rights when we go out here and protest for civil rights, and we will be talking about a protest in a minute, but one of the things, you know, oh, let me read you another quote from this guy here, and it goes in great with this um, quote that I'm going to give you by James Baldwin, but basically he said, back in the day of slavery, slaves were kept in slavery by denying them education and opportunity while providing them with their basic needs, not by beating them and starving them, although there were isolated cases, of course. Basically, slave owners took pretty good care of their slaves and livestock and kept this business rolling along. And so, and you know, so I thought that was interesting. Huh? What, what, what's so fascinating about that? 
that back uh-huh. in, in a lot of back uh, in a lot of black people's minds, they believe that. You know, they yeah, actually believe that. Not true. I mean, who wants to be forced, you know, to work and to work for nothing? And, you know, not only the women but the men were used as sexual slaves as well. But, you know, this quote by W.E.B. Du Bois, it says, For education among all kinds of men always has had and always will have an element of danger and revolution of dissatisfaction and discontent. And basically, you know, they're always complaining about, you know, um, educated blacks, or in some cases, some people call educated blacks intellectual snobs. You know, um, I've heard that going through the atheist community. There are some black atheists that call other black atheists intellectual snobs, yet they don't use the same terminology when it comes to some of their white atheist heroes. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, I find that quite interesting. You know, you know the intelligent atheists are intellectual snobs. Hmm? I said you're going to always have people like that. I mean, you had them back in the day, you know, and um, mm-hmm. you're going to always have people that is in love with white folks, don't care what they do, and they'll turn around and say if a black person do the same thing, they down you like a crack, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly, you know, and, you know, what's interesting is some of these same black atheists that call intelligent black atheists intellectual snobs, they have other little fun names for them, like troublemaker, because many of us do not go along to get along. We're not bowing down to kiss, you know, the asses of those, quote, unquote, in power. Um, in some of these larger organizations, whereas they want us to bow down to them and to the leaders of the organization, and that's just not going to happen. But, you know, they call some of us troublemakers. They call us um, negative, and we're only negative because we don't agree with what they say. So if we were agreed with what they were saying and what they were doing and supporting them, then we would be positive. But since we have, you know, a different view and we see a different way of doing things and we're negative, and because we believe in certain things and we encourage people to read and, you know, we bring these different shows to you, then they call us superior as though we feel as though we're superior to them, and that's not the case. We're just not going to agree on everything. And, you know, we see certain things differently. And that doesn't mean that any that our thought process is superior to anyone else's. It's not. It's just that we see things differently. And so yeah. it's, it's just interesting. And then, you know, one of the favorite names that, you know, we've been called is sycophant. And apparently yeah. they don't really know the definition of the word because okay. basically sycophant. S-Y-C-O-P-H-A-N-T, sycophant. And, you know, the interesting thing about it is, you know, if you go and look up the definition of sycophant, which they evidently do not truly understand, they're the ones um, showing sycophantic behavior by the way they bow down to some of these people in, you know, the atheist community because a lot of what is happening and a lot of what they're doing is just wrong on so many levels. 
And this is why we're going to be talking about, um, you know, some of these things here. And, you know, a lot that's been happening. And, you know, you have a lot of these organizations that talk about diversity, but it's rhetoric because I've seen no action. And bringing one or two people of color to speak at your conventions or conferences does not define diversity at all, at all. And then, you know, the interesting thing about it is that, you know, with some of these people that they bring in to speak, they just recapitulate the atheist or party line, if you will. So, you know, they're not going to necessarily bring in anyone who has and, you know, antithetical view. Oh, we have another caller on the line. Let's pick it up. Three, two, three. May we ask hey. who's calling? It's Vita. Hey, Vita Scott. Hey, Vita. Hey. hey, girl, how are you? Hi. Hi, I've been listening to the show, and I just wanted to kind of comment on a, on a few things you had already talked about, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Um. Well, one, I want to touch on the whole uh, Paul Ryan thing. Um, what's interesting is when I found, this connects to what you guys were talking about a minute ago, which is I was surprised to find black people in support of his comment. And yeah. I was on that. Now, that shocked me, especially even coming from black people who I thought were at least somewhat socially conscious. And then I also um, saw people who are from the hood that I've talked to who were like, well, he's right. Like, they, they, they've actually accepted this belief about themselves even. I'm talking, but funny is I'm talking to a person who has two jobs who's telling me that, yeah, there's a, this is a black man who's trying to convince me that other black men in the hood aren't working just as hard as he is. And I'm like, where are you getting this from? Because you're, you're, you're putting a label on other people that's also being used for you. That's the, he's talking exactly. about you. He's, there's a culture of... Uh, there's a culture of laziness, a culture of laziness. He's talking about you. You are included. Exactly. On top of that, you and most of the people I know, including myself here in the hood, we have multiple jobs multiple and side hustles on top of our jobs, but yet we're lazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. There's laziness because we're not making all the money for them and working for nothing. And, again, these are the same people that want to abolish the minimum wage and justify it paying you two cents an hour. And, and you know, the interesting thing for, about – And making it harder for uh, people who have come out of prison to get jobs. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the interesting thing about all of that is, again, you know, they're not taking, and this is where it goes to, you know, you have people that make those types of comments and that agree with the comments of Paul Ryan and some of these other GOPers. But, see, this is where, you know, the quote-unquote intellectual snobbery comes in. It's not necessarily a culture of laziness. You know, there is not that type of pathology in the black community. Most of these people are busting their fingers down to the knuckle, working, barely have time for their children. You know, a two-parent home or a two-person household, you know, can barely make enough money to afford a one- or two-bedroom apartment. But it all boils down to where are the educational and economic opportunities. In, in right. many cases, these 
you know, neighborhoods, there are no opportunities. You got to catch two buses and a train. It takes you two hours to get to work, two hours to get home, and then you're there on a job for nine hours. And for your one hour lunch break, half the time you don't have enough food to eat. So okay. you know, do you I'm think that at, you get a one hour lunch break? Because I'm gonna, even, I won't even give you that. I didn't get a one hour lunch exactly. break until. I'm serious. My lunch break for a half hour yeah. is that. Exactly. Right. And, they, and, they, and they don't want you to take your 15-minute breaks. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and, yeah. on, and on top of that, look, keep in mind that a lot of, in a lot of these historically black communities that there were actually a lot of jobs and factories at one point in these communities. And when those yeah. companies left and went to these, a lot of these people lost their jobs. So in any of black communities that were actually doing pretty well, we were able to have a black middle class. And we basically don't have a middle class for anybody now. So what he's saying doesn't make any sense if the job and the opportunity is not there, and they help, they're basically helping a lot of these people leave and helping us lose these jobs. And they're saying that they're going to keep people here, as long, but only if we don't tax these companies and only if we don't make them pay fair wages. That's the only way these companies will stay. And that's, that's, that's the kind of bargaining chip that these Republicans try to use. Well, if you, we'll give you a job. We won't get paid shit, but we'll make sure you get a job. Like, that's the, like, right, really, right. that's fair. Exactly, exactly. And the thing is, is that, and again, this is where, you know, doing the research and educating yourself. It's okay if you're self-educated, you know, you know, being auto, you know, autodidactic, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. You know, to me, a self-educated person, you know, has, you know, goes a longer way in my book because you're seeking out the knowledge. But this is the thing. If you go back and you start looking when a lot of those manufacturing plants started closing and going back, you have a lot of people blaming President Bush and you have some people blaming President Obama. And unfortunately, you know, I'm just going to have to put this on the table because this is the truth. They need to go back and look at what President Clinton did with NAFTA. That mm-hmm. opened the floodgates. And what's happening now with a lot of these jobs going overseas to China and India and other um, third world countries, if you will, is because what these companies, and this is what's happening with the tax loops, with the tax breaks and the exemptions, what they do is they take their profitable departments and they send them overseas where they don't have to pay taxes on them, and their departments that are bleeding money, that are losing money, those stay in the United States and they get to write it off on their taxes. This is what's right. happening. And then they turn around and say that there are not enough people in this country that are educated enough to do these high-tech jobs when, you know, I beg to differ. There are plenty of people in this country that if you teach them, they will know how to do these jobs. They will understand because a lot of this is redundancy. On a lot of these jobs, it's redundancy. And the thing about it is that they're not bringing the jobs back necessarily. What they're doing is they're offering H-1B, H-1B visas, so, you know, people from other countries to come over here to work, and then they want to complain about the immigration. Well, they want certain immigrants, if you will, <laughs> but they don't want other immigrants, which opens up a whole different can of worms. But, you know, we're just giving you the rudiments of, you know, how this works and what they're doing. And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and tie this into something that happened yesterday with the White Man's March. I'm not sure if you all read about it, but we clowned them on Twitter, and yesterday um, they had the White Man March, 
you know, and they were encouraging people in all of the different cities to get together and, you know, march and speak up for the white man. And their slogans were diversity equal white genocide and anti-racist is a cold word for anti-white. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, but let me tell you what some of their propaganda is. So, again, we talked about anti-racism as a cold word for anti-white. And, you know, we've seen people accuse us of this in the atheist community, you know, calling us racist for having groups of color, which is interesting, you know, um, and white supremacist is an anti-white slur. And again, diversity is a cold word for white genocide, and white people are suffering from racial discrimination, and there's no such thing as white privilege. And here we go. Here's the good one. Hitler was a hero who was simply defending his race. This is what they believe. And so you know, I'm sitting there. My problem, and I have a lot of problems with that. Let me not say just one. I have a million problems. But what's interesting about that is that they don't want to be seen. They want. I mean, they're saying that they want this fairness, but yet they're spewing ridiculous rhetoric and racist things. Let me come on, Hitler. Hitler. How does how do you legitimize how do you legitimize yourself as saying that you have needs by using someone who has tortured and terrorized millions of people? You know, and black and Jewish and gay and I mean, you're talking about someone who just terrorized people and has exactly. had a million terrorized people. But that's mm-hmm. but you're gonna use that as the person that that's that's representative of you saying that you guys have needs in your community. But see, that says a lot about you. What you've just done was completely delegitimize anything you could have actually said. Not that they had a leg to stand on anyway, because they don't. But let's just say that they did. <laughs> all they've done was completely erase that little tiny bit of legitimacy they could have possibly got from somebody. So now they've just, you know, who, on top of that, who wants to be openly associated with an organization that endorses Hitler? Right, <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then some of them had the nerve to say that they had some black friends who supported their platform. And I've been asking for a while, who are these mysterious black people? Was Herman Cain and Alan Keyes there? I didn't see any pictures, but who are these mysterious black friends? I want them to, you know, show your face, reveal yourself. And, you know, what's interesting about, you know, the white men march, and, you know, I had, you know, I've seen this on several occasions. I've been, you know, in conversations with people. Do you know they tell us that it is racist to call them racist? And the thing is, is that what's happening lately. That's weird. Yeah, that's been happening for a while. I don't understand that whole, you know, it's, uh, like, honestly, it's worse to call a white person racist than it is to call a black person the N-word. Like, they will they will freak out. In their mind, it's just like, you just called me racist. This is the worst thing you could have possibly called me. And then you have to, like, back that up with something. Like, if you call somebody else for being racist, people are like, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan is obviously racist. Like, what he said was racist, and I'm sorry, he said other things that had me like, what? So, and he quoted some, and he relied on the studies of someone who wrote the bell curve. With a child, yes, yes, yes. Like, <laughs> oh, yes. By so many psychologists and, and scientists for I don't know how long, and he uses exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. Inferior. So I'm sorry. Like you, he, he's obviously being racist, but if you call him out, that if you call him that, and you point that out, well, you know, this is 
because of other patterns and other things you've said, yeah, we definitely would call him a racist. Oh, no, you can't call him a racist. He loves black people. And didn't somebody say recently that they tutored some black people in the hood before? Was that kind of like a trading places type of scenario, you know? Oh, he said something. It was a politician, and I forgot what state. And he said, and this was recently, he said that um, if there were no NBA, you'd see it like, if they dismantled the NBA, you'd see a rise in street crime or something like that. Oh, well, I mean, we're going to talk about the NBA and NFL. You know, this goes back to something that we've been talking about, the owners of those organizations. You know, you have different teams in different cities or what have you. The owners, they exercise socialism and they enjoy socialism. But the players, that is rugged, good old-fashioned American capitalism. You know, if you go back and you look at, you know, what's what's the the organizations and how they're set up. But, again, you know, what you're saying, that quote that he gave, it's good old racism. So, and it's just interesting. But, you know, what trips me out, you know, as far as, like, what's happening with the Tea Party and, again, you know, with the white man's march, and even though we make fun of it and we're joking about it, you know, I did the show on domestic terrorism. I did a couple of shows on domestic terrorism. And these people are out here marching. On one hand, it's funny, but on the other hand, it's kind of terrifying. Because if you go back and you look at what happened at, you know, Black Wall Street and Wilmington and Tulsa and, you know, Rosewood and all of these different places, and those aren't the only cities, the black prominent cities, they marched then. And what they did is they killed a lot of the black people, ran them out of town, burned down homes and their businesses. And, you know, now you see a lot of whites, you know, they're buying up all the guns, and this is why we're having a fight about gun control. You all need to pay attention to what's happening. They're marching for a reason. Yes, dear. Yeah. They scared as hell. But they've always been insecure. What what happened was... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, baby. What happened, what happened was they were asleep until they saw that this black man in in in, in office in in the presidency. When they saw that that even though we want to call him half white, whatever, they knew what he was, and they they were asleep. They thought they had it made, and that scared the shit out of them. And this stuff ever since then, they've been gathering. They've been saying things out their mouth, ugly things. They've been doing everything, getting all the guns. We got Ku Klux Klamen down here going into these neighborhoods, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and they say it's not against the law. They said they'd be dropping papers uh, on your lawn held down uh, with a bag of of, um, of rocks so it won't fly away. And they put them in right. the yard, and they said, we want it, we want, we want uh, want it back, the white man back. We want it like it used to be. And so they, they're trying to get people to join the Ku Klux Klan again. And that's been going on yeah, for now yeah. last year. Yeah, and the thing uh, is, is that not only that, not only that, but they're also, um, they have armed militias um, going through neighborhoods and basically saying that they're, you know, protecting the neighborhood. They're the neighborhood watch, right? And it's yeah. perfectly legal for them to be walking around with their guns out on display, and there's nothing that the police can do. And so, you know, again, this is happening. This is happening quite a bit across the country. Let's see here. We have a Skype caller. Let's 
pick up Red Ninja. Red Ninja, you're on the line. Hey, how you guys doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Did you have a question or a comment for us? Well, um, if anything, I just had I had a question and I had a comment, actually. I was listening to your show, and this is actually the first time I've actually called in, so I apologize. I'm a little nervous, but... Um, my question is, I know you, you were talking about how um, so many sectors of our society and politics are essentially um, panicking. You know, you have a lot of people that are marching, um, and you have a lot of people out there that don't have the best of intentions. And, you know, listening to Paul Ryan actually talking about and inferencing, you know, how so many black people are lazy and, you know, inferencing that so many black people are just voting for Obama so they can get, you know, welfare checks and things of that nature. I mean, it's really insulting, and it, and it is yeah. astonishing, you know, that we live in a society in which we can't honestly see the benefit of giving and extending what it is that we have to people that can't afford it. And it amazes me, you know, that we can actually, you know, that politicians can go on television and actually say these kinds of things. But the thing is it's not merely a black versus white issue. It is a middle class versus upper and lower class um, exactly. scale that they're actually trying to build. So oh, yeah, I'm not even, I'm not even strict. Yeah, those are smoke screens. The social constructs are smoke screens, the black versus white, the white versus, you know, yellow or red. And it's all about money. It's about the haves versus the have-nots. That's what it's always been about. Oh, 100%. But they will never admit it. And it is, it, it's when people, you know, want to talk about, like, how black people are this and black people are that, I have to stop them and say there are plenty of white people that are poor. There are plenty of Latino right. people that are poor. There are pl plenty of Asian and Arab people that are also poor. We have to, we have to come together as a class to defy right. the rights that are slowly being taken away from us and the, not even so much privileges – but earned things that are slowly being taken away, but they're trying to distract by making it a race issue instead of making it a social class issue. And it's something that a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of black people actually forget about. A lot of people that live in, like, you know, black lower class neighborhoods um, are not focusing on the fact that it's not merely a race issue. It is also a class issue. And it's amazing how people don't actually pick up on that. Um, but my question is, why is it that so many, especially like, you know, Republican and Tea Party politicians, how, why is it that they are panicking so hard over something that should be a clear resolution? Obamacare is not perfect. I get it. But... It is a stepping stone forward to a better society that's going to be able to actually afford health care, that's going to be able to actually be able to pay bills and actually get things rolling off of the ground. Because you look at countries like, you know, Canada and France and so many of the European countries that are offering health care at a very minimal to low charge, and yet nobody is complaining about that. So why is it that we live in a society that is panicking so hard about extending benefits to the lower middle class. It should be a clear, it should be a very clear um, resolution. 
it's an easy look at problem how much to money fix. They're making. Look at how much money they're making for people that that can't afford uh, health care. Okay. Yeah, because they profit from poverty. A lot of these people are profiting from the poverty. But go ahead, exactly. Deborah. I would just, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, I keep saying I'm gonna start me a, a site on on black dis- disability because people we need one thing black people don't do we don't whine enough. I mean, white people will if you if they if they if 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 they hit their hand they whining. Okay, <laughs> we need to start whining. We don't want we 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 got so much uh uh we are proud people. We do not whine. These people whine over Absolutely. anything. And 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 it, you're right. It's a classist and a racist thing. It's true. You know, but the if I'm going to tell you something. You you get tired of going to a doctor and they just mm-hmm. handing you a pill that don't work. Okay? Yet you spending your money you spend your money on your insurance. You spending your money in, when you have to go in there and pay that uh, that pay, you have to pay something uh, okay. initial pay thirty dollars or four. You got to pay that. You pay it out of your yep. little check, okay? Right. And so, like, exactly. just think about when, when you don't have an insurance. I remember when my insurance when I was working, and I had to have an uh, uh, emergency operation, and uh, what the insurance company did was went back a month that I didn't pay them $33 a month on my job. I was paying $33 a time a month. They went all the way back. My uh, bill came, and it was something like $70,000. Okay? It could have ruined Wow. Me. Okay? Yeah. They're yeah. making cool money, and, uh, and not only that, the prescription drug company, do you know how many people are probably in stock, their stock, the money they're making from these prescription drugs? Yeah, but see, Chad, I want to go back to something that you said initially, and this happens a lot also. There is biases and discrimination in the medical establishment, and they've been, you know, discussing that. There have been many articles about that. And going back to, you know, um, Red Ninja's, um, initials, initial comments, you know, there were a few studies out, and I remember posting one about six months ago in which it said, you know, what's happening in this country with the oppression of, you know, the lower classes or people of color, or blacks in particular, with this one um, study, it says that it costs this country more money to oppress you know, minorities, than it does to basically level the playing field. So they'd rather spend more money. And, you know, and while it is the haves versus the have-nots, you know, being a minority um, and being out here, I mean, I've, I've dealt with some issues. And while, you know, we understand that the fundamental issue is about the have versus the have nots. Until people change their mindset and people understand what's happening, they just see it as a black and, you know, white or, you know, Latino because, you know, I've been in situations whereas um, we'll just say on the job. You know, I've worked corporate for a long time, whereas I knew I should have received a certain position, but because this other person who came in late every day, um, didn't know the job as well as I did, but, you know, he was friends, you yeah. know, with, um, you know, the management. Well, guess who mm-hmm. got the position? 
And then when I complained about it, you know, like the board was saying we need to whine more. Well, when I complained about it, well, guess who had to go? Mm-hmm. You know, Amazing. and so it's just, yeah, and it happens quite often. But, you know, again, <clears throat> you know, going back to, you know, what we were talking about, let's try to get us back on, on topic here, you know, because, you know, we're going to get into the meat of the show in a few minutes. But, you know, with that white man's march, and, you know, this it was interesting, is, oh. you know, we were making fun of it on Twitter, and we were saying that, you know, white people have now discovered discrimination and racism, and they've claimed it as their own now, and they stole it fair and square. And so, you know, we were just, you know, <laughs> clowning them the whole thing. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, Kim, I know uh-huh. you wanted to move on. It's Kim and Vita. I know you want to move on, but something I wanted to say um, in regards to Red Ninja's comment, I'm not, so I mm-hmm. agree with him 100% as far as uh, it, it being an issue between the have and the have not. And, and I agree with that because I do believe that if, you know, poor people allied, um, you know, white poor people in the South, you know, that, you know, people could refer to as rednecks or white trash, they would benefit a lot, even though they typically vote Republican, they would actually benefit a lot in allying with people of color, since a lot of us typically have um, very progressive ways of, of, of organizing. However, um, at the same time, we cannot deny that there is a racial aspect to this that is very prevalent, you know. Um, oh, yeah, even, no, no doubt about that. Even if you're looking at it from an and I didn't think you meant that in a way to deny it, but I just want to make sure that I was out there. People who were listening didn't think that, you know, we were being dismissive of the fact that racism is alive and well, even if we're looking at it economically, because who right now is, is, is basically fueling the prison industry and the prison industrial complex, and that's a thing full of our black bodies, and we cannot forget exactly. that part of it. Because that's and that's a huge chunk of our economy right now. Most people aren't even looking at it in that way, um, which is why we need to address the zero tolerance policies, which affects the school to prison pipeline. Which is why we need to uh, address realignment and reentry. So I just want to make sure that you know we don't forget. And I'm not saying that never ninja did. He did. I'm just want to make sure we put this out there that the racial aspect right. of it is still alive, now, and we don't want to forget that either. Oh no, and I right. and that's absolutely not. That's definitely yeah, because not, the numbers are very disproportionate as far as, you know, the number of blacks and Latinos that are being jailed. Um, it's a dis- disproportionate number as to the unemployment rates in, you know, communities of color. But in addition to that, if you go back and you look at what's happening with the private prisoning, if you go and you look at the contracts, basically the way that the contracts are set up is that they have um, the pr- prison, the private prisons have contracts with the state, and the state has to guarantee a certain number of beds will be filled, period. And if those beds are not filled, the state still has to fulfill their obligation. Otherwise, it's a breach of that particular contract. And then also with the, um, you know, deportation, you know, they call, excuse me, Barack Obama, what they call him, you know, um, deportation chief or something to that extent. But what's happening is a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of money in that as well. The number one oh, yeah. airline is 100%. the airlines that are taking these, you know, immigrants back to their own country. They make more money than United and Delta and all of them. So there's a lot of money in the housing for the immigrants, you know, when they're being detained. There's a lot of money behind that. So, you know, that's you know, I consider that as part of the prison industrial complex, oh, yeah. if you will. Oh, yeah. you know? And, and, if, and if I can, some of the vans that take them, some of the vans and things that pick them up are owned by prison companies. Most people don't know that either. Mm-hmm. 
And if I can just um, say one thing real fast on that, um, am I am I talking to is Vita still on the line? I'm yeah, Vita's still here. All right, just so, I just want to make sure. And just to address your comment earlier, um, I definitely don't deny um, that there is a you know racist component to a lot of the prison industrial context either. I just actually bought a book called The New Jim Crow, and um, I forget the name of the author. Michelle Michelle Alexander. Michelle Alexander? Okay, yeah, Michelle Alexander. And um, I was just absolutely, I mean, it it really, it makes you cry. um, how, How insidious the prison industrial complex is in regards to actually targeting um, black and Latino youth especially. And one part of the thing that I find really disquieting is how so many of our actual education systems are set up to actually reduce, in certain cases, the the intelligence levels of a lot of minority youth, Um, especially in teachings regarding biology, regarding chemistry, regarding so many things that black youth are capable of learning, economics, financial... um, Stability, all of these things, so many of these things are not taught in high schools. And therefore, because we're not teaching them and we're not wanting to teach them, it Mm -hmm. causes us to be ignorant of so many concepts. And it causes us to lose sight of what we can do to actually improve our lives and improve our station. And because we're not actually shown a lot of these ideas and exposed to these progressive ideas, so many black communities go, well, they must not exist. And, you know, it causes us to carry uh, this kind of hopelessness in regards to how we're being educated. Yeah. And when and you I see know, this hopelessness be manifested, you know, we're, if we're not being encouraged to better our stations. See, I don't agree with that. I, I, well, I agree with it, but I, the, the part of where we don't, uh, we're not encouraged to improve our stations, I think that's, a great, I think that's uh, definitely uh, true to a certain extent in the sense that, you know, a lot of youth are not given the opportunity. They don't know what their opportunities are. And, and they don't have access. Even if they know, sometimes they have access to certain things that will get them those opportunities. And I, and I 100% right. agree with that. But, um, sure. I, but I do with that. But getting to looking at organizing, right, community organizing, there are mm-hmm. groups of people pretty large. And I'm not saying, and, again, I, I really hope you don't think I'm, take, I'm taking what you're saying that you're in denial of this part, but I don't. I also want to make sure I add an extra part to what you're already saying. So I guess disagree isn't really the part, part I meant. I meant more like I want to add something to what you said, which okay. is um, this ad, and adding this part is that, you know, communities organize all the time. And I, I've been a community organizer um, in South – I'm from South Central L.A., and I've been a community organizer here since I was about 14, 15 years old. And um, one of the things that I can say is that people fight and they, they learn these opportunities and we organize. I organize as a high school student. I organize as a college student. I organize after college. Um, mm-hmm. I just as a community resident. And we've shown up at events and meetings, council meetings, um, school board meetings, 100, 200 deep, and we, you know, 300 deep buses. I mean, pack people in. And this isn't just in South This happens all over the country a lot. And even with the people, they they know that there are opportunities. They know that they're, that they're not hopeless, and we're fighting to get those opportunities, but we're still often denied, even with the fighting. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, in addition to not having access to certain things, we're fighting for those things. So it's not like, so it's not like people don't know. It's not that people don't try. It's just that mm-hmm. we try, and we're often denied. I mean, I showed up at meeting 200 right. community residents, and we said we don't have one another liquor store on this corner, and the city council said, well, they have a right even though there's two, three other ones on the same block. 
even though wow. these other ones are already nuisances in our communities. And we've shown that by literally 200 residencies. So, exactly, and, and I agree. Yeah. No, I agree exactly what you're saying. And the thing is, is that it just takes someone, you know, a community organizer, a grassroots activist, to get out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just takes one person to start it. Because look at what happened in North Carolina with Moral Mondays. I remember when it first started up, they were getting no type of, you know, media coverage. And I remember covering it and talking about it. And it grew, and it grew, and look at what it has grown to. And you know, I remember specifically stating that this needs to move across the country, and Vita is right when she says that, you know, there are people out there, you'll get, you know, two, 300 people showing up to protest, you know, um, different things. And, you know, I also agree with, you know, Red Ninja about, you know, us having to be educated, you know, because there are some people in the community that just, you know, may not understand the implications of, you know, exactly. what's happening. And that's why it exactly. takes the organizers to get out there and to educate them and to tell them, you know, how this will directly impact them or indirectly impact them, depending on the situation. You know, in the example that Dina gave with the liquor store, if there are already two or three liquor stores on that block, why do you need another one? Exactly. Why do you need another liquor store on that, you know, and, you know, and, you know, I feel the same way about churches. If you already got three, four yeah. storefronts right. on that block, why do you oh, need man. another one? <laughs> but, you oh, know, but, you know, but, again, it goes back to education and outreach because, again, no one's going to get out there and protest if they don't think anyone else, they're going to say, well, nobody else cares. So it only takes one person to get out there. 100%. And I absolutely agree with that. Um, and also, I, I think what she said was 100% on point. But, you know, it's, I want to say also as an organizer, there, we, we've also missed the boat on our end, where as far as reaching out to the community, helping them understand certain things. And, and it, I know you were talking about intellectual snobs in a different way, but I believe that some community organizers can actually be intellectual snobs. I mean, um, cause a lot of the people who I work with, we're, you know, a lot of us are college educated. We may or may not be from the hood, but, you know, I, I am, but... You know, we're definitely, a lot of us are very educated. We went to college. Some people went to college and got politicized and said, I'm going to go to South Central and help or whatever. But a lot of times they mm-hmm. don't know how to talk to the community on their level in the sense that not everybody in South L.A. has an education and can and understand what racial hegemony is. So let's figure out. You know, some of the groups that we have, because you have a variety, you know, you have a myriad of different people, and there are some people that can talk to this group, other people that can talk to that group. It's about effective communication. Oh, but I understand yeah. where, exactly. where you're coming from, because if you're using, you know, a $100 word to somebody who's a functional literate, they're just going to look at you like you're crazy. And so, mm-hmm. you you know, you have to understand your audience and you have to meet them where they are. That's extremely exactly. important. And so yeah, I agree with that, too. Gonna... Oh, yeah. Let's and... take a quick break. No, I want to take a quick break and then we can go back. And I wanted to play just a quick commercial from Compass 120. That's Doc and Val down in Atlanta. Who've been, you know, they've been helping us with, you know, different things. You can get all of your atheist attire from Compass 120, so I just wanted to kind of give them a quick shout-out. So hold on one second here. Mm 
Campus 120, they have a video out on YouTube. I'll post it on my page a little bit later. But just want to let Doc and Val know that we were thinking about them and Compass120.com. That's where you can go and get your atheist attire. And they have a new line coming out, the Signature Series. So go over there and take a look. So there you go, Doc and Val. That was just for you two. But, but you know, just getting back to the conversation there, um, it's, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. You know, I want to get into the meat of the conversation, which kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about, um, you know, social justice, community activism. But I kind of want to tie that in with the atheist community, you know, if we will. So, I mean, we can continue on with the dialogue, but I just want to incorporate a new factor into this particular equation that we're dealing with. And, and, you know, what Vita was saying is absolutely correct. It's about knowing how to meet people where they are and how to talk to your audience, if you will. It helps the people that you're trying to help. And, you know, what's interesting about that, and I'm going to go back to a comment that I made earlier about the intellectual snobbery. And basically, you know, I was saying that how there were some black atheists in this community that consider other black atheists as intellectual snobs because we choose to do things differently. We choose to go out into the community. We do believe in social justice. We do believe in community activism. We do believe in diversity. And, you know, many of the ones calling us intellectual snobs do not necessarily believe in the same thing. You know, um, and, you know, it's, it's just interesting how all of that comes about. But, again, they will call us intellectual snobs for quoting, you know, James Baldwin or W.E.B. Du Bois or talking about, you know, referencing Michelle Alexander's book or, you know, a number of other things. But yet if, you know, an atheist, a white atheist say the same thing, then it's like the gospel. And I just, you know, and find it unfair on so many different levels. If a black atheist says it, then they're an intellectual snob. But if a white atheist says it, they treat it like, like it's scriptures coming from the Bible. And, you well, know, I've talked that. about that before. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I was going to say not just that, but you also have to look at what some of these, you know, these folks who are criticizing us, you know, are are doing. They're willing to compromise, you know, what what few principles they have, you know what I mean, for fame and for uh, for money, you know, for entrepreneurial purposes, as one of them actually put it, you know. So um, they really have zero credibility. Where where, where, I, where, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know. And this is this is right. something that I've all this is something that I've always um, that I've always firmly um, understood and believed in, which is that your atheism is not enough. You not right. believing in God is not enough because, like mm-hmm. it or not, there are churches out there that are doing their part to try to reach out to their communities. I may not agree with exactly. their beliefs, but. I must give them credit, and I have a lot. There are a lot of atheists out there that will continually say that the church does absolutely nothing good, and that they are absolutely ruining our society and things of that nature. Now, here's the thing: um, the beliefs within Christianity are destructive. Nobody is disputing that, but 
I will I will fight anybody that actually says that churches do nothing good at all. I firmly disagree with that. And the the idea is we cannot, and I use the same principle with everybody that I know, but we cannot, we can't give people the credit for bad things without also giving them the credit for good things. And I will exactly. applaud any church that goes out there and feeds the homeless. I will applaud That's any right. church that goes out and does the tutoring, teaches math, mm-hmm. actually goes out there and holds language classes, holds financial planning classes, all of these things. Yes. And the, the, the yes. fact of the matter is that if atheists want to do something about the state of not only their communities but the world at large, they have to start from inside, and they have to actually work with churches because otherwise – they need to keep their mouths right. shut. And that's right. And you know what? And the other part of that is is that we have to we also have to um we also have to recognize that there are certain people in this community who who really do not want that. They say that's what they want, but yet they go to right. CPAC and they talk about, you know, you know, fiscal conservatism and it's that same fiscal conservatism that really is not socially liberal. I'm sorry, you cannot be really be a fiscal conservative and a social liberal. That's, those things don't go together. First, for one, exactly. if, you believe in, if you believe in the social contract, you have to believe that we're responsible for each other to some extent. So defunding public schools, you know, mm-hmm. defunding you know, the food stamp program or SNAP, you know, defunding you know, all of these programs that help people in desperate situations find their way out, you know what I mean, and say that you're mm-hmm. um, socially liberal. I'm sorry, those things don't go together. You know, and um, I don't really, and I don't really see how um, you know one can call themselves a CPAC atheist and be for the you know the um, you know as as many of these so-called you know leaders of the atheist movement are you know for the dismantling of the church and for the um, you know for diminishing the relevance of religion in our society and yet they want to cut all of these programs. Where are people going to go? That's what I can't understand because if the, the church loves you so much, then why don't they say, well, tax us? It, it don't even have to be much. It could be one thing. But we've got to be fair about that, Deborah, because some of these smaller churches, some of these smaller storefront churches that are doing good. You can go by the income. Well, no, but see, some of them, you know, some of them are not bringing in a lot of money because what we have to remember is a lot of, you know, the programs that they're bringing to the community, those are sponsored by state grants and federal grants. And some of those churches are bringing in, I'm just saying, some of the smaller ones, they're not bringing in income. Now, Creflo Dollar, Eddie Long, these mega churches, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn, tax the hell out of them. You understand, Joe? Nobody, if, they don't, if they're not making no income, they don't need to be taxed. That's what I'm right. saying. Just like if you go yeah. down there to apply for assistance, they go by your income. Mm-hmm. Okay, this exactly. is all I'm saying. That's exactly. all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. A lot of people oh, yeah, no, you're right. Right. And I no doubt some of these are getting over. Well, let me just say this. Anything given to a church is considered a donation. So, I yeah. mean, if they, they operate a lot like nonprofits. So, but them are also operating services that are nonprofits. It's, very, it's going to be very difficult to tax them, especially all they have to say is, wait a minute, we have a, um, a program for people coming out of prison. We have a program for families who are low income who can't afford Christmas dinner. You know, like, you have to keep mm-hmm. in mind that even if you're taxing them, a lot of them operate like nonprofit organizations. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and there is a way that they can be taxed at a commercial tax rate, but it will take them revamping, you know, um, some of the IRS rules, and they would just have to revamp that whole thing. And right now, I guess right. they figure that it's a nightmare. Because, I mean, it would be rather difficult to do, but it can be done. But, you know, let's, yeah. let's, let's you know, put all this back into perspective. And Raina was talking about the CPAC. How about, CPAC if, how about if it's a show? And, can it be times like... Like say you had them big shows, you know them, where the singers be singing and all that stuff. I mean, wouldn't oh, that be just yeah. like uh, yeah. uh, uh, a, a concert with uh, uh, those uh, rap? Uh, uh, well, people? they have they have charity oh, concerts right. out there too. So I right. mean, that's that's no, so that's Right, but no, I'm just talking about just looking at the books, you know, just looking at their books and, you know, a commercial tax rate based on the amount of, you know, tithing and, you know, donations that have come in as well as grants. Now, with the grants, that's a separate issue, but, you know, in a faith-based initiative, I want you guys to go and look that up, but I'm trying to bring it back to center here, um, you know, talking about the CPAC atheists and then also the libertarianism in this community. Um, and, you know, a lot of the atheists out here, you know, and I'm not talking about the leadership, I'm talking about um, just your average, you know, atheist, um, you know, I'm not sure if they understand a lot of the concepts behind what they're doing with the CPAC and the libertarianism, but I know some of these leaders do. And, you know, right. what I find interesting is is that many of them will say, you know, you know, as Raina stated earlier, that they're fiscally conservative or consider themselves a libertarian. And what I, you know, encourage people to do is to go out and actually look up what libertarianism is, you know, the definition of it and what they believe in, their platform. Because basically they don't believe, this is why you don't hear social justice and community activism from these leaders and many of these larger organizations is because they don't believe in it. Right. Social justice does not, you know, reconcile with libertarianism. It's right. about I'm going to take all my toys and go home, and I'm going to take your toys too, and you know, exactly. and, and you know, and you know, I'm trying to get you all to understand how this works, and then you have a couple of you know black leaders in this community, and you know, basically they've been sold this line of rhetoric. And they believe that they're going to get the fame and the fortune, which is why they're falling in line, and they want the rest of us to fall in line under them. It's like going back to what we say about the church with the pyramid and the Ponzi scheme. Only the people at the top are the ones with the money. And this is why I have such an issue with these so-called atheist churches, if you will. Now, you know, atheist pastors, atheist churches, there's so much that I can go off about on all of this, but let's 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 keep it centered here. Um, basically <laughs> the word social justice and diversity and community activism is a repellent for many of them because again, as I stated earlier, they don't believe in it because it does not play into their agenda. So when they talk about diversity and have these diversity panels, if you notice it never goes anywhere than a conference. They don't take it offline. Nothing happens. 
you know, the people, you know, some of these black women have up there speaking at their conferences about diversity, putting on their diversity I don't know why I'm getting Um, Ask some of those same black leaders what they have done in their communities. And they'll say they haven't done anything. I mean, going to speak at a conference, speaking on, you know, a little interview or anything, that is not social justice. That is not community activism. Yeah, blaming the church for the social ills of the black community or whatever community that you come from is not social justice either. No? Exactly. And that's why I say the GOP is playing, you know, you have a lot of, these religious people, and especially the religious right, but, you know, and a lot of blacks are falling, you know, black churches are falling right in line with this and following along with some of these conservatives. But what they're doing is playing an evil joke on the churches because the churches Absolutely. are not equipped to deal with the ills in the communities of color. They're not equipped. They don't have the money. They don't have the resources. And when I say resources, I'm talking about people that are willing to go out there and volunteer. And we have the same issue in the atheist community. So as far as the atheist community is concerned, you'll hear them saying, well, what about these communities? You know, some woman got up in the middle of a talk and said, well, what are you all going to do about the issues in the black community? What about what's happening in Chicago with the people shooting? Well, I want to know what the white community or the white atheist community is doing about it. You're the one with the money. You're the ones that have been out here a lot longer. What are you doing? Not a goddamn thing, but basically parading your tokens back and forth gives the illusion. Again, it's smoke and mirrors. You're not doing shit, and neither are many of those black atheists. All they're doing is handing out eight cupcakes at the the big-ass bash that only had ten people attending. So, you know, my whole thing is, is that you're not looking at the bigger picture. Trust me, you know, some of you black atheist leaders, they, they're doing smoke and mirrors with you, too. They have you thinking that you're part of their agenda and that you have a future. They are lying to you. Why? They want numbers and they want the membership dollars. That is what they want. They do not give a shit about you. They do not give a shit about communities of color. They want your money. And they know black people have been conditioned to give. You understand? We have been conditioned to give our money and our time as well as our intellectual property because there are some people that are being exploited now. We're sitting back and we're seeing it and we're calling it out, but yet they send their little tokens out to fight us so then they don't have to by promising these tokens that they're going to get A, B, C, and D. Baby, listen to me. You ain't going to get shit. You're going to wake up with a wet ass and a broken heart. That's what you're going to do. Ooh. Ooh. I didn't expect her to use that one today. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, she's not lying, y'all. I mean, there's, you know, these people who are, you know, talking about, um, you know, changing the community and, you know, that religion is the problem, they don't come from communities with, you know, intergenerational poverty. You know what I mean? They don't come from, you know, from communities that are, economically depressed and has been economically depressed for decades, you know? They don't come from, you know, communities where they're affected by double-digit unemployment. You know what I mean? And they don't come from from communities that 
see something like a 70 to 80% murder and conviction rate either. They're not actually right. being faced with communities that have frequently been faced with confronting their mortality, you know? Right. And or they're not coming from communities in which your lives where, are actually on back. the line. Right. Or communities when they, you know, when they come back from prison, you know, they don't, you know, you know, where people can't find jobs, where people, you know, aren't unable to participate in those, those parts of life. You know what I mean? The ground right. one, the center one. I mean, and also we have to keep in mind these are not people who come from social justice backgrounds. So you're not so right. you're not talking about you know so because keep in mind that you know uh, people who have a social justice mindset have come from a totally different perspective on this. Just because someone came from uh, came out of religion into atheism doesn't mean that they're enlightened in all ways. You would think Absolutely. that that would make them bigger critical exactly. thinkers as they should be, <laughs> you know. But unfortunately, right. that, doesn't, that doesn't always happen. And, and just Agreed. because someone and this, and this would include people of color as well. Because I've been confronted a lot with I just assume that everyone, I mean, especially me being having, been, I feel kind of sure because most of the people in my circle have always been socially conscious. That's just the way I was raised, and I was always in those organizations and groups around in, in South L.A. So I felt a little sheltered. And then when I joined the atheist community and I had to encounter non-social justice-minded people and white people, because I, I wasn't really familiar with white people either, um, it, it came... Um, it, it, it became a, my realization for me that, oh, not everybody realizes that poverty is an issue, that everybody realizes that there are so, actual inequalities that exist today for, uh, for people of color. Like, I didn't realize that that even existed until I started encountering more white atheists. And there's people right. wanting to right. argue about semantics and, a, and God being on a dollar bill and harassing mothers right. whose children have passed away because they want to put right. all the money that. You know, but it's all about it's all about white privilege, and you know when you don't have to deal with those things, you don't you don't think like that, you know. Right. You don't you don't think about the ways in which the resources that you have, the ample resources that you have access to, you know that you know to fight, you know, and God we trust on the dollar bill could maybe be used to feed somebody, because you don't go to home to a community where there where you know poverty is a problem. You know, you can clo- you, you can walk past it. You can close your door. You know, it's not really there, you know, because the police, you know, shoot them off to another block. You know what I mean? So, I mean, we have to recognize that, too. You know, there's, white privilege is a massive problem in the community, you know? People just unwilling to recognize, you know, all of the all of these social ills that are expanding, you know, at this time, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And it's, and it's that, that, that lack of empathy. This brings me to a quote from James Baldwin. He says, if we, and now I mean the relatively conscious white and the relatively <laughs> conscious black, who must, like lovers, insist on or create the consciousness of others, do not falter in our duty now, we may be able handful that we are to end the racial nightmare and achieve our country and change the history of the world. Yep, James Baldwin. James Baldwin, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm just sitting back, and, I mean, everybody's making some great points here. And, you know, and here we go. I'm sorry. I just got to take another stab at this because I just can't let this rest. We've talked about it. But, you know, and, you know, Vita hit it on the head right there. She says not everybody is seeing this from the same perspective. That is absolutely true. 
and, you know, we all understand this. But, you know, one thing that I'm seeing in the atheist community, in particular the black atheist community, because we did a show called White Nationalism, Black Nationalism, Atheist Front. And, you know, something that Red Ninja said earlier, I did a show on um, me and Raina, Black Churches Equal Black Problems, Part 1 and 2. Go check that out. But coming back to, you know, my original statement here, basically what I find interesting is you have a lot of black nationalists in the atheist community, and you have some that are very, very skilled. And when, you know, the rhetoric that comes out of their mouth it can resonate with atheists. It can also resonate with believers, in particular disgruntled believers, if you will. But, you know, it's just interesting how all of that falls into line. But what I'm trying to understand with some of these particular, you know, nationalists, black nationalists, how are you criticizing the church when you were raised secular? You've never been a part of the black church. You don't necessarily understand it, but you can criticize the church, but I don't hear you say anything about black nationalism. How is that no. possible? Not a word. Because, they, because, they're, because they're, comfortable, they're comfortable with black nationalists, and they're also comfortable with particular black nationalists that they think might be able to get them a payday, i.e., you know, Jeremiah Kamara. But anyway... Um, I just wanted to bring up that, you know, that um, along with the whole, like, um, you know, black nationalist thing, the white nationalist, you know, like, uh, Dusty Smith, you know, and his right. whole, you know, uncle, you know, black black Christians or Uncle Tom shit. And um, he's got a lot of stuff that he's written and said about the black community. And he regularly talks about the black um, community in very problematic ways, um, you know, talks about you know, um, hoping that some thug-ass black kid walks up on him on the street so that he can knock him out. Um, talking no, he wanted about, to stab the kid. He wanted to stab oh, the stabbing kid. them. Okay, well, stabbing them, which, whichever. But in any case, um, you know, he's got uh, some, some, some uh, video talking about atheists are the new niggers, you know, and he uses the term nigger quite a lot. Um, you know, he's, he's very obsessed you know, sort of with casting um, atheists as this as the lowest caste. And it's kind of telling that he uses he uses terms and terminology that's generally associated with, you know, slurs against black people. Um, you know, to do that, you know. Um, but he but he has a large following. And I, I'm I'm trying to understand how that is. You know what I mean? How it is in this in this day and age you know, with all of the information that we have access to, that people are willing to accept his rhetoric as racist as it is. Oh, Actually, well, another, let me, let me, let me problem. cut in here. There's another problem. Oh. There's another problem, too. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. Um, but there's another no, problem, too. When you, brought up, um, when you brought up Dusty Smith, too, um, he's got another problem, too, That and this is entirely a part of the conversation, but in general, he shouts at people when it comes to the issues that he wants to address. And quite frankly, um, if this was three years ago when I was an evangelical Christian, if he talked about Mm -hmm. any subject at all the way that he was, I would have shut him off and considered him somebody who was influenced by the devil, quite frankly. Right. Because of the way that he addresses all topics, and not just, you know, this this whole business about, you know, black Christians or Uncle Tom's, because quite frankly, when you look at a lot of his videos and you look at, 
and not just him too, but you have a lot of people that actually shout at people and are not talking. Oh yeah, like the amazing atheist. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And you know this whole idea that you have to shout at, to the top of your lungs in order to actually get your ideas across, which, quite frankly, I would shut him off if I was still in yeah. the belief system that I was, and I would consider him lost because yeah. you don't talk to people like that. You just exactly. don't do that. You just don't. I would not appreciate I'm a little less concerned about his tone and the, about both their tone and their volume than I am about their actual content. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, Dusty and, and, and PJ, you know, have said some pretty horrendous things, you know, in the public yeah. sphere. And they have not received the amount of pushback that I think, um, you know, their words merit. You know, and I feel Thank like um, a lot of, and I think that a lot of that is because um, a lot of folks in this community, um, you know, even those at the very top of these organizations are, are complicit. They believe exactly. in the sorts of things that these people are saying. Yeah. Thank you for this point, because that's exactly where I was heading with this. I think you're reading my mind, Raina. But, um, <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely – because, I mean, we've had this conversation before, you know, yes, and yes. I believe that a lot of the leaders, especially in these larger white organizations, are complicit. Your silence is tacit complicity, you know, and right. the thing is, is that it is their job to shut those people down. But according to some of these, you know, leaders in the larger white atheist organizations, we don't have racism issues in the atheist community, and we sure as hell don't and, have homophobia. And let me, you know, and let was, me add to you know, this, and let me add mm-hmm. to what you were saying, too, because we're, we were just talking about CPAC atheists. So while we're, yeah. while we're talking about these larger white organizations who are, you know, doing these things out here, let's talk about the fact that no one in American atheists you know, um, they said all this stuff about how atheists need to be, you know, involved in, you know, in conservatism and blah, 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 and how, you know, Christians were basically running folks away from conservatism. What about the racism, the blatant racism in the, in, in, in the CPAC, you know, circles? What about the fact right. that, you know, a lot of the rhetoric around the um, dislike or really hatred, just, you know, naked hatred of Obama is based in the fact that he is Kenyan, part in part. You know what I mean? Yes. Let's talk and how about many... the fact. Let's talk about the fact that Paul Ryan says that in the the problem in the inner cities is that black men or black people really, by extension, don't want to work. You know what I mean? Let's 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 talk about that. Where is where where do CPAC atheists stand on that? You know what I mean? They've said exactly. nothing. They have nothing to say. Them. It doesn't affect their bottom line, therefore they don't need to care about it. Exactly. And see, and and that goes back to, you know, just incorporating all of that. It goes back to what I was talking about, whereas they wanted the membership numbers, they want the membership dollars, you know, your yearly fee, they want you to show up to these conferences. And this is one of the reasons why I believe one particular, you know, individual that used to work with one with the larger organization there, one one of the reasons why, you know, she was vilified, you know, after that separation there was because she didn't get the numbers that they had projected that they wanted and needed. So they're utilizing some of these other so-called black atheist leaders to try to bring the numbers in. They're still not getting it. Because, see, the thing is is that, you know, 
again, people are not as dumb as you think they are. I'll just put it that way, I'm, and I'm being very nice about it. But, again, you know, I didn't hear, you know, Silverman say a word about the racism, the obvious racism from a lot of these conservatives that, you know, he palled around with um, at CPAC. Um, I don't hear him say anything about the racism in the atheist community, so that goes back to what we said, you know, people being, you know, tacitly agreeing with it. Um, and then he says, and he, the statement came out of his mouth that there is no homophobia, that he's never met any homophobic atheist. Well, he was just with yeah. one last summer. He right. was just with one last summer, and that particular organization, um, American Atheist, has a history of homophobia, if you will. And, right. you know, Madeline O'Hare herself you know, made some comments, and Chris Statman brought it up, you know, Fathias, he brought it up, and basically she wrote a hateful letter, and basically she called the male recipient, she called him a cocksucker, said who liked men and boys, and encouraged the person to form your own group of cocksucking atheist Marxists. So and she yeah. was also a racist. And then yeah. many of them, like, you know, and I'm, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a culture, if you will, and it's the good old boys network, and I know we're trying to break through, we're trying to get through, but it doesn't seem as though these progressive liberals really want to make any inroads, and that's just my opinion. But I just thought it was interesting that he would say he also claimed that he's never met an anti-LGBTQ atheist and that the arguments against LGBTQ rights are 100% religious. Bullshit. There's, you yeah. know, no. There are other he arguments just like he was saying that there were secular arguments for um to be anti abortion and the the fact of the matter is is like you can have a you can have an argument against anything that is, or or for anything that doesn't mean that that's a good argument you exactly. know what I mean so it's like exactly uh, it's you know it's it's so frustrating, you know what I mean to be a part of this to 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 be a part of this movement at all. And it's not that, like, I'm deeply involved in the atheist stream, in, in the atheist movement because I don't really consider myself to be a part of the mainstream movement because it doesn't speak to me. But just by virtue of me saying that I'm an atheist, I then become associated, you know what I mean, with some of these very negative things that are going on in the community. And I resent that, especially because exactly. I'm interested in making a difference in my community. Exactly. And a lot of that is based on white privilege. I'm talking about, you know, these statements and the behaviors and the sense of entitlement. And James Baldwin says being white means never having to think about it. And, you know, when I'm talking about white privilege, let me go ahead and define it for you. White privilege is a set of advantages and or immunities that white people benefit from on a daily basis beyond those common to all others. White privilege can exist without the white people's conscious knowledge of its presence, and it helps to maintain the racial hierarchy in this country. The biggest problem with white privilege is the visibility it maintains to those who benefit from it most, the inability 
ability to recognize that many of the advantages whites hold are a direct result of the disadvantages of other people contributes to the unwillingness of white people, even those who are not overtly racist, to recognize their part in maintaining and benefiting from white supremacy. White privilege is not about having to worry about being followed in a department store while shopping. It's about thinking that your clothes, manner of speech, and behavior in general are racially neutral. And in fact, they are white. Yeah. It's seeing your image on television daily and knowing that you're being represented. It's people assuming that you lead a constructive life free from crime and off welfare. It's about not having to assume your daily interactions with people have racial overtones. White privilege is having the freedom and luxury to fight racism one day and ignore the next. White privilege exists on an individual, cultural, and institutional level. And that Um, is from Professor Arlene Avakian from her social construction of whiteness um, at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Tim, I just wanted to say thank you for for letting me um, participate in your show. And I got to run quickly, but thank you so much for your time. All right, Raina, you take care. Bye-bye. And so, you know, we still have Vita and Ninja and Deborah on the line. We'd love to thank Raina for, um, you know, coming in to see us today. And so, yeah, you know, I just wanted to define white privilege because, you know, we talk about it all the time, but, you know, some people do not understand, you know, what it necessarily means. And so that's why, you know, when we're talking about, you know, when we were talking about CPAC, and, you know, libertarianism and all of that, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's just undergirded with white privilege. And when you say atheist, going back to what Raina has said there, when you say atheist, you know, people automatically think angry white male. And we're coming into the community and we're trying to dispel that particular stereotype. We're trying to, you know, educate people as to why we think religion is false and how you can be, you know, good without necessarily, you know, um, adhering to the tenets of the Bible. And it's just interesting, you know, how all of this goes, you know, comes into play, but there are a lot of things that aren't being talked about, that aren't being spoken um, in this community. And, you know, we've had people, you know, um, asking, you know, exactly what is social justice. And sometimes we get a little frustrated because it's like sometimes I feel like I have to do all of the footwork for some people, and they're not necessarily taking the time out to go and learn it for themselves. They want you to educate them on everything, but I'll define social justice for you. You know, social justice is the assurance of a proper distribution of advantages and burdens among all members of a community. Essentially, the quality of life for the general population must be approximately equal. Any difference must be adequately defensible. No subset of the population should receive any dramatic benefit or inconvenience related to health, pollution, representation, or access to education. And, you know, there are many, you know, different um, definitions that are out there. And some examples of social justice can be racism, education, um, housing, um, child labor, 
corruption, religious discrimination, as well as, you know, um, discrimination against the non-religious, you know, medicine, disabled people, and poverty. Those are just, you know, a few of the examples. And, you know, I, I would encourage you guys to go out there and read up on some of the principles of social justice, you know, and that would be human, you know, some of the examples are human dignity, dignity of work and the rights of others, community and the common good, solidarity, rights and responsibilities, stewardship, priority for the poor and vulnerable, um, you know, principle of subsidiarity, which is governance, um, participation, promotion of peace. And I'm going back to something that Vita said earlier. You know, we're going to have to break those things down and make it understandable so that everyone, you know, we can explain it to a five-year-old and a five-year-old can get it. And that's, you know, part of what we try to do with this show. And we have many, many more shows coming in the future in which we'll break down, you know, these particular topics even more. And it's just, you know, it's, it's imperative that, you know, people start to understand and that, you know, we get the information out there. Don't you guys think so? 100%. I agree. And I have to to run, Kim, but um, I want to say thank you for letting me be on the show today. And um, (laughs) all right, you guys have a good one and um, have a a great day. All right, you guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Vita. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, the whole thing is, you know, interesting, you know, how all of this comes about. But, you know, as far as the atheist community, you know, we have a long way to go. And, you know, we have to start somewhere. And that's why we, you know, put these shows together, which is why we point out the sexism, we point out the racism, we point out the, you know, white privilege, homophobia, the ableism. You know, I don't want to leave anyone out, per se. You know, just let them know that, you know, we are looking at these issues. But mainly, I'm looking at some of these larger organizations, and as I've said in the past, you know, we do recognize and we are paying attention to what's being done and what's being said and what's not being said. And, it's, you know, I'm disappointed on a lot of levels. But, again, you know, that's me because, you know, I guess my expectations were a little bit too high because I felt that, you know, once I came out and was part of the atheist community, I really believe that, you know, the people on this side of the equation knew better. And so because of the, by them knowing better that they would do better. But, you know, again, you have to utilize those critical thinking skills in every area of your life, not just when you're criticizing religion. You know, religion is not the root of all evil. Sorry. You know, um, it's just not. You know, some of these same people criticize religion, but they have nothing to say about capitalism. In some regards, some of them have nothing to say about racism or sexism or homophobia or any of the old, you know, phobias or isms out there. But you have to utilize those skills in every aspect of your life. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, and especially in this community, um, you know, it's, 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 it's wild, but, you know, here's another quote from um, W.E.B. Du Bois, 
and it says here, and it's just talking about America, but it says what passes for identity in America is a series of myths about one's heroic ancestors. It's astounding to me, for example, that so many people really appear to believe that the country was founded by a band of heroes who wanted to be free. That happens not to be true. What happened was that some people left Europe because they couldn't stay there any longer and had to go somewhere else to make it. That's all. They were hungry. They were poor. They were convicts. Those were those who were making it in England, for example, did not get on the Mayflower. That's how the country was settled. And you know, I've had you know conversations with people talking about the original settlers in America, and I used to tell them that they were the Queen's bastards, if you will, and that they were convicts and. And it's just interesting, you know, people are not going back and they're not, you know, reading their history, but that's why we bring it to them. Um, it's just um, it's just interesting. And another quote from W.E.B. Du Bois is, um, let's see here, the real victim of bigotry is the white man who hides his weakness under his myth of superiority. I'm sorry, that was James Baldwin, both of those statements. My apologies. Both of those were from James Baldwin. And um, it's just interesting, um, you know, how certain things are playing out in this community. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about with the CPAC, and in particular, you know, the CPAC atheists, if you will, um, I'm waiting to see if, if they're really trying to increase their numbers because that's basically what it boils down to. They're trying to draw in the secret closeted atheists that are in the Republican Party. So, you know, the ones that are trying to draw in these so-called secret closeted atheists, are you going to confront the obvious racism? Are you going to confront the obvious homophobia in the Republican Party? Are you going to, you know, confront the, you know, the isms and the phobias? You know, is that what you're going there to do? Is that your atheist, you know, evangelical, you know, um, <laughs> you know, agenda there? Is that what you're trying to do? Or are you just trying to bring them in, bring in the numbers, bring in the money, bring in the support, bring in the donations? Is, 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 is my, you know, uh, you know, assumption here, correct, that it's just about the money. Because if it's just about the money and it's just about the numbers, as far as I'm concerned, you're just as bad as these churches, in particular these and some of these megachurches. So what is it? And uh, to me it's interesting, too, how, you know, there are so many um, – there's, there's so much confusion – in regards to what the end goal actually needs to be. There's a right. lot of confusion in regards to, especially, you know, when you, when you think about the atheist community and when you think about the fact that, you know, there are so many atheists that are Republicans and there are so many atheists that are libertarians, uh, there's a level of denial there to me about social issues in general and especially in regards to scientific issues, at least, because I'm personally, you know, very concerned about, you know, science education and things of that nature. And mm -hmm. when I found out that, you know, for instance, Pendulette 
is somebody who actually denies global warming. This yes. is this is something that you would only expect an evangelical Christian to say. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, when you when you hear about like Republican parties talking about you know how they have secular arguments against you know gay marriage and you know how this is not improving the fabric of society. This is only something you expect somebody from a mega church to actually make. And exactly, I some, a part of me actually questions whether they've actually outgrown their evangelical training or not. Mm-hmm. I've done so many shows on, you know, how, you know, you left the church, but the church hasn't necessarily left you. And Em and Mario did a show talking about religious thinking in the atheist community. We've done a number of shows, whereas, you know, I, I'll do a comparative analysis um, from atheism to religion. And, you know, I did one on one particular show in which we I've had conversations with certain atheists that have said that they are no longer racist, they're no longer sexist or misogynist or what have you, because now they're an atheist. And becoming an atheist means that they were no longer those things. And I said, oh, is that like, you know, being baptized, going down yeah. a dry devil cup up a wet one, being washed by the blood of Jesus? And so because Jesus sees you through the eyes of that blood, that you are no longer the things that you were in the past. I'm like, it's the same bullshit. It's the same thing. You're telling me the same thing. And, you know, it's just interesting because you have people out here who will quote Dawkins, Hitchens, um, Harris, like they're quoting, you know, John, Luke, Mark, Matthew from the Bible. And they don't see it. They don't see it, and then they get angry with someone like me, and I point it out. I'm like, all you've done is trade in one, you know, deity and created your own deity, you know, from one idol to another idol, and they don't see it. Many of them do not see it. And go ahead, go ahead, Deborah. What I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is a lot of people don't do their own research. They're going by what exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, They're not developing their I mean, own opinions. You, go, you got to have questions when you first read the first uh, book in the Bible. Exactly. I mean, I don't see how people can can read it and and and, and not have questions. You know. Exactly. Um, exactly. I mean, and they will go against you and say this and say that. I said, where that? You know. Where exactly. That? Exactly, and, and you're right, and that's why you know. Right, and I mean the thing is, is that you hear all the time, do I or do I not encourage people to go and do the research? I say, do don't take my word for it. Fact check me. I want you to do research. I give out assignments, if you will. Not that we're going to come back and have a quiz. I just want you to grow as an individual. I'll tell you so much about certain things because I want you to go out. I don't want to spoon feed anyone. I just want to pique that interest, that curiosity. Go out there, figure it out, challenge me. I've been wrong. I've come back on the show yeah. and said I was wrong. No problem. You know, and, and I have no problem with that. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Hello? Oh, I'm no, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, that's why they keep making newer and newer versions of the Bible to mess you up too. Because a lot of things is, and the point is that if you go to like, even if you go to the first version of King James, it's gonna be completely different from these newer versions. You know, I don't have to go to the 1611 new version. If you go to the 1611 version of the 
James Bible is much different than the King James Version that they use now. And Red Ninja, you were about to say something. Yeah, I was going to say, too, um, when it comes to the Bible, um, you, you, you'd be surprised at, like, how many people are King James only inerrantists. You know, I was personally raised in, you know, a Pentecostal church who insisted that the King James Version was the version of the Bible to actually read and about how we were raised about, you know, how Roman Catholics were not true Christians because they worshipped Mary alongside Jesus and didn't give him due authority and all these things. And one of the things that tripped me out, um, you know, as I was deconverting and doing the research was how many versions of the Bible – there were before King James. So when somebody comes up and says, well, the Bible says, ask them which Bible, which version of it. Exactly. And, you know, they get, they get tripped out, you know, when I quote about, okay, so what about what, why does the new revised version of the Bible say this versus the new King James version? Where's your translation actually coming from that you can actually verify Mm -hmm. this? And how come in that version is different from the Greek version? And how come this Greek version is different from that Greek version? Exactly. Exactly. You know, at the ignorance, the mm-hmm. ignorance amongst churches themselves is astounding. Yeah. And, you know, people don't exactly. even know about the Apocrypha. People don't even know about First and Second Maccabees and cu- books that were cut out exactly. of both the Old and the Testament. Exactly. exactly. And they don't even know about the Catholic Bible, which talks about Lilith. You know, people don't even know who Lilith is. And it's interesting because oh. when I was in church, I would have, you know, preachers running for me because they'll say, well, let's have Bible study. And I'm like, okay. So I'll break out my Tanakh, my Hadassah. I'll break out the Concordance. I mean, I'll come there with, you know, a damn shitload of books. Like, we don't have Bible study. We don't have Bible study. And they come with their one King James Version, and I'm reading from, you know, a Hebrew Bible. And, you know, and they're like, what the? Yeah, if we're going to have Bible study, Let's have Bible study. And the interesting thing is, is that those of us that have left religion, and even some of the people that were never raised in religion, we understand the Bible better than most Christians. I believe it was a Pew Research yeah. study that said only 20% yeah. of religious people actually read the Bible. And what they get are talking points. Like with the Catholic Church, they get the articles. They're not encouraged to read the Catholic Bible. They're encouraged to read the articles. And, uh, you know, a lot of the Christian churches, they learn by rote and repetition. Right, and so that's why they quote. Go ahead, hon. Oh no, what I was going to say too. Bible study to me in a Baptist church is Bible Uh indoctrination because you're not studying the Bible; you're just being fed something they want you to actually believe. That's right. Exactly. And you know, and if you question their interpretation of the Bible, they'll say, "No, it doesn't say that. It says this." And when you go into other books, you know, you talk about Hosea and you talk about the utter brutality that is coming out of the Old Testament. And, you know, yeah. certain parts of Hebrews and, you know, certain parts – sorry, Hebrews is the New Testament. Um, when you talk about, you know, the book of Hosea and the book of, you know, First and Second Samuel and all these other books, they will fl- – mm-hmm. some of them will flat out tell you, no, it doesn't say that and fight Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. and you're right. And that's what I was saying. You, they learn by rote and repetition. They'll have you repeat the scripture two, three times, or they'll continually beat you with that particular scripture that it just yeah. becomes automatic. So if someone says something about, you know, um, I did some research on my own, they'll give you the scripture, lean not to thine own understanding. Exactly. It's just automatic. Uh-huh. It's just automatic, and they teach you that. And that's why they keep, yeah. you know, basically recapitulating the same sermons or repeating the 
same sermons over and over and over to 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 get your mindset so you know how to respond. And then when you ask them something that's not on a script, then, you know, some of them, you know, are honest enough and say, I don't know, I need to do some research. Others will get angry, and then, you know, here comes some of the ad hominem, or, you know, they just totally shut down. And it's just interesting, you know, how – you know, coming out and seeing that there are other people. And that's why I think it's important that we have these shows and these discussions so that people can hear and see that they're not alone out here, that these doubts and these questions, exactly, these doubts and questions that they have, you're not the first and you're not the last. But we want you to educate yourself. We don't want you to come over here to the atheist community because this is not a utopia. Some of them try to paint it as a utopia, but that's a lie. But we don't want you to come over here and fall into the same trap. Right. And there are many paths. So it's important that you question everything, everything. And you go out here and you, you know, you become your own person. Again, we challenge you to Think and live for yourself because this is your life. You only have one to live. Enjoy it. Have fun. Educate yourself. Open your mind, you know, and it's just important. It's just important, you know, because otherwise I would not have been at this for as long as I've been. We're going, we're ending our third year, and at the end of April, middle, latter part of April, we'll be going into our fourth year under black free thinkers and you know we've branched off to people of color beyond faith we have the live webcast As a matter of fact sunday march 30th will be our webcast we'll be talking about women of color and religious oppression and that will be one o'clock central standard time 11 o'clock pacific standard time and we're having the physical conference october 11th and 12th of 2014 in los angeles california and, you know, I read the panels to you earlier. I'll post it again today or tomorrow so that, you know, to remind people and I have to do the event invites and all of that. But we're doing this to you, and we're bringing this to you for a reason because although, you know, they present this utopia over here in the atheist community and we all know that to not be true, there are a lot of people in this community that are ignored and marginalized. And we're bringing this to you so that you can get the understanding, you can get, you know, some of the education and some of the enlightenment, you know, that's available out there. And when I say the word enlightenment, I'm not talking about you have all knowledge now. It's a never-ending process. You should always be learning, always learn something every day. And, you know, if you can, teach somebody something new. Even if you don't know, just, you know, pique their interest and you do the research together. You know, but it's just interesting how all of this comes about. But we're putting this out here for the groups that have been ignored. I mean, you know, I hate to put it this way, but it's the truth. But, you know, a lot of the blacks, the Latinos, the Asians, you know, Pacific Islanders, indigenous people have been ignored in this community. And they're still being ignored and marginalized and in some cases exploited. And, 100%. you know, we just that's yeah, and that's why we're trying to open the door, and we're encouraging people to come out and, you know, be a part of these webcasts. You can be on a panel. You know, just reach out, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. You know, send us a message. You know, that's fine. We're looking for believers because we do believe in interfaith. 
there are some, you know, religious groups and churches that we can and will work with. You know, um, Dr. Sakibul Hutchison works with Zion Baptist Church, and the pastor there has come under fire because of his stance on homophobia in the black church and being pro-LGBTQ. And so, you know, we've written letters and we let him know that we support him and what he's dealing with. And, you know, um, when he first met her and she told him that she was an atheist, he didn't say why. He said, I respect that. That man had an open mind. And there are quite a few liberal, progressive, you know, religious people out there that, you know, have an open mind and that we can work with. Now, I'm not going to go out there and do the anti-gay march with you. That's not going to happen. But if we're out there feeding the hungry, I I can do that with you. I can help you with that. And I'm not, you know, going to proselytize one way or the other. But we have some social justice projects coming up this year. We're going to be announcing those soon um, because it's time for us to move forward as, you know, the atheist community or atheists of color or what have you. And it's time to get out there. And this is for everyone because we do have allies, and we do encourage them to work with us just as we will work with you and, you know, and you're right, um, Red Ninja, when you say just being a non-believer, just being an atheist or a free thinker or a humanist, it's not enough. We have to go out there. We have to give back. It's important that we do that. And, you know, being an atheist, you know, basically tells people that you do not believe in a deity or a god or supreme being or whatever you want to call it. But being a humanist shows, you know, who you are that you care about people, that you care about the community, that you want to, you know, give back, that you want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So it is more to it than just being a non-believer. But, you know, we understand the dynamics of it because the atheist community is a direct reflection of society. So you're going to have some people who feel that being an atheist is all that they need to be. We understand that. But there are many, many more who feel that they have more to give. Go ahead, Red. Oh, no. The other thing I was going to say is that, you know, if the atheist groups have a problem with churches acting in their community, I would invite them to actually show up in the inner city schools. I would invite them to actually show up in the inner city communities. I would invite them to show up to the shelters. I would invite them to actually show up to the most vulnerable areas and actually have their voice heard because they don't have room to complain if they're just sitting back and saying that there is a problem. I don't want to hear problems. Exactly. I want to hear solutions exactly. because that's exactly. what we actually need. We know what the problems are, but we need solutions to mm-hmm. these problems. And I will not, absolutely not tolerate anybody who comes to me with a problem and that doesn't come with a solution because, quite frankly, if you're just coming to me with problems, I can go to the church for that. If I just want exactly. to you know, if I just want authoritarianism, I could go back to church. There's a reason why I walked away, and it's because I wanted to actually do something about it and not just sit on my hands and knees. Exactly. And it's interesting that you use that word authoritarianism. We're starting to see more of that 
in this community. And that goes back to, you know, something that I talked about, you know, on previous shows and even earlier today. But, you know, it points back to this open letter that they wrote and they called themselves signing off on and trying to hold everybody accountable to. And I denounced the letter because part of, you know, the premise of that letter is they were trying to silence and, you know, control the feminists. And you have people in this community that are saying that the feminists are dividing the community. And, you know, and pretty soon it's going to be finger being pointed at, you know, the minorities dividing the community because we keep talking about these different isms and phobias. So, you know, they have to find a scapegoat somewhere. But anyway, you know, I repudiated that letter last year. Hmm? Go ahead, Devar. I was just going to say what makes me so mad, and I got mad last week on on somebody's page, how, how black men are putting women down. You understand? And that needs, yeah, that and needs you know what? We'll do a show stop. on that. We'll we'll do a show on that. Um, <laughs> you know, but you know, like I said, women of color and religious oppression. Sunday the thirtieth. We're down to our last forty-five seconds here. And again, this is Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We thank Deborah. We thank Red Ninja. We thank Vita. We thank Raina for calling in. I thank everybody who's listening to the show live, those who will be listening to the archives, the people that were in the chat room. I thank you. I appreciate you. And I want you guys to have, you know, um, a lovely weekend. And, you know, someone in the chat room called us niggers and all of that stuff. Okay. It's all good. But anyway, you all have a lovely weekend. We love you. you We care about you. See you next yeah, Sunday. You I know. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks for the call.